Okay, uh, the final introduction. Um, I had said to uh, a few of you that when I thought about this service, our 10 years, and who I might ask to preach, there was one person that came to mind, and it was John Hutchinson. Uh, to take you back in history, John was pastor of McLean Church for about 15 years, right over uh, the river. And um, John was given the heart and burden that he wanted to see church planting happen in the District of Columbia. Uh, and so uh, at that point, they hoped, I think, that it would be uh, not two and a half years of searching, uh, but John faithfully uh, kept just burning and carrying that torch. I had the um, opportunity this week to email with one of the men that prayed for about 15 years, 20 years, who pastored McLean Press before John. And uh, I asked him, he, he wished us well, he's praying for us, uh, and he said, you know, uh, I labored for years, but it was really God using John Hutchinson that enabled it to start. And uh, John's gifts and his passion were uh, unflagging. Uh, since that time, uh, John has now gone to New York, and he's president of City to City, which is Redeemer New York's church planning arm. And this past spring, he, uh, you know, worked in such a way to bring uh, Tim and their team to the city, Tim Keller and the team, which ended up blessing many of us in the city. Uh, so John's heart continues for Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm going to ask you to come up, John. As personally speaking, uh, John has been a friend. I will regularly say if we have a father, Grace D.C., it's John. But John has been a guy that I have gone to over and over for pastoral advice uh, when I was a little down, uh, he'd take me out to eat. <laughs> he would, uh, you know, give me a, a good, sage encouragement. But uh, I'm so grateful that you can be here and so grateful for your life and ministry, John. Thank you. Thanks, brother. It's great to be here. It's a delight to, to be here on this occasion for sure. And um, I'm just honored, truly honored to be here. Thank you. You know, there there's some... Uh, things that are just unjust in life, and, and one of them is that God gave some people accents like Stuart McAlpin. <laughs> I mean, I have a southern accent, but somehow or another, it's not the same. I don't know why. God bless you, brother. It's an honor to follow you and um, to be numbered with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this time together, and now we ask that you, by your Spirit, would speak freely from your Word. And we thank you for that Word, and we ask that the Spirit of God who inspired the writing of that Word would illumine our hearts and minds, and so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight and that we would hear far, far more than any broken, sinful man could ever do and that we would hear from the very voice of God this evening. And I stand ready to hear. So speak to us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I decided to take up golf again, 
after um, sort of setting aside for many years uh, so that I could get my um, mental health back after uh, playing for most of my life, that game. And uh, it's really been a delight, it's been fun, but I was reminded of all the things you have to remember to play golf, at least to play it fairly decently. You know, you have to keep your head down, you have to keep your arms straight, you have to knee, uh, bend your knees, you have to pivot, you know, and follow through. You just have to remember all those things, and if you don't remember them and execute on those things, it just is not a pretty sight. And it reminds me of a lot of things in my life right now. There's so much that I have to remember. The older I get, the more I need to remember, and it seems like the less I do remember. Sadly, I don't know if you can identify with me, but um, it seems like the things that I do remember about my life, about this life, are things that I'd rather not remember. The things that I need to remember, those things seem like they're so difficult to remember. How many of you have more than one password to remember? <laughs> I mean, ATM, credit card, you name it. Well, of course, then they've got the app for the password, but then you've got to remember the password to the app for the passwords for all of your other stuff, and if you forget that, you're, you're, you're in a bad way. Well, it's just a lot to remember. We need reminders, reminders to remember. That's why in this beautiful city, we have these memorials everywhere, don't we? That we can remember things that happened in history that we need to remember, that we need not ever forget. In the text that was read just a bit earlier, the Apostle Paul is old and at the end of his life, he's writing this young pastor it's just striking to me that he says, remember Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, is there any danger of forgetting him? I mean, it was, you know, a lot farther back in history, a lot closer to the actual facts and reality of, of, of the historicity of the Lord Jesus. And yet, no, he needed to say that. And as we celebrate 10 years here tonight, uh, we need to say it too. We need to say it to ourselves. We need to hear it. I need to hear it desperately. It was the same apostle that wrote to the Galatians, the first book of the New Testament, so early on, and said, I'm astounded that you're deserting, or forgetting, more than forgetting, deserting the one who called you and going to a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. So early, they had deserted the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so doing, deserted him. So the apostle writes to Timothy, this young pastor, and he says, remember Jesus Christ. Let's just think about that verse, just that verse. I want you to think about three things very quickly tonight about that one verse. It's simple. It's supernatural. And it's ever so satisfying. It's simple. Let me give you the three points right here. It's simple. Remember Jesus Christ. It's supernatural. Risen from the dead. Descendant of David. Amazing. 
so satisfying. This is my gospel. He didn't say this is the gospel. He could have said that. It is the gospel. It is the only gospel, true gospel. But it's curious, isn't it, that he says this is my gospel. And then NIV translates it that way. Has his personal fingerprints all over it. It's his. Because it's his life. Of course, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. It's just simple. It's not simplistic. I'll tell you, the older I get, the more questions I have. I don't know about you. The more questions that I don't have answers to, the more questions that I would love. I, my list that I'm going to ask the Lord when I stand before him goes longer and longer the longer I live. I have more things that I wonder about. But I don't wonder about this. It's not simplistic. But it is simple. It's about a person. You know, with all that we could think about, all that we could talk about, all that we study about, all that you study about here, and all of it is no doubt necessary and important and helpful for you, for your own spiritual maturity and growth and development. It's all important. But with all that we could be involved in, all that we could talk about, all that we could study, all that we could raise questions about, and all the theological discussions and debates where we might differ or agree to differ, it still comes back to this. It's about a person, a phenomenon. Christianity is essentially about a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of God, the second person of the Godhead, who existed in all eternity, and yet, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son to be born to take upon himself human flesh, that he might live the sinless life that none of us could ever, ever live, that he might die as a substitute, as a sacrifice for us, that he might die a real physical death and pay the price and bear the wrath of God that we sang about earlier, that he might also rise again physically from the dead, a real person who has ascended to the right hand of the Father that person is alive today at the right hand of the Father. It's about a person. It's not, it, it's certainly about teaching that I just scroll through real quickly the essentials about who he is. It's doctrine, it's about teaching. But in its essence, it's more than teaching that we need to obey and that we dare not disobey. But it's about a person to love who's loved us and given himself for us. It's simple. It's about Jesus. But it's also incredibly supernatural. What do we know about this Jesus? Well, Paul says it. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, I have, to, I have to remember over and over again that the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, was just as difficult for them to embrace and to believe as it is for us today. If you struggle with doubt, you're in good company 
Because those closest to the Lord Jesus, none less than Thomas himself, doubted. It's a supernatural reality. The Romans didn't believe it. They knew he, was, he had promised it. We'll come to that in just a moment. But they were the least likely to believe it, along with the Jewish people of their day as well. We should all be reminded that the resurrection is a miracle. It's a supernatural reality. But, but, but in that reality, it's the reversal of the irreversibility of this broken world in which we live. Everything bad, everything broken gets reversed in the resurrection for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. Everything broken about your life, it gets reversed because of Jesus and his resurrection. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It is a hopeful message, as Glenn was saying. We sing about it. It's our hope. It's our only hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we too, in him, will rise. That's what Paul says to us and said to the Colossians. Set your mind on him, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, for you are hidden in Christ, alive in him, because of the resurrection. What's your hope really based on today? If it's something that dies with this life, it's really no hope at all. But Peter says we've been born again into a living hope because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ when you're without hope, when you've got nothing else. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Descendant of David. It's another, it's a, it's a way of saying, a beautiful way of saying, as promised. Promised for generations. Promised for hundreds of years. The fulfillment of the promise. A son would come from David's lineage, and he would rise from the dead. Jesus Christ, David's greater son, rose from the dead, as promised. We could spend a lot of time on both of these comments, on both of these thoughts, but let me just rush to ask you, in your own life, ever had promises that were broken? Ever had someone betray you? Someone close? Maybe someone at work. Someone who stepped on you on their, way, on their way up, took advantage of you, lied to you. If you haven't, you just haven't lived long enough. That's what this world, that's what happens in this world. This is what happens in, to your life in this world. It's significant, Paul at the end of his life says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead as promised. Promised, fulfilled in Jesus. Bank on it. 
And then finally he says, this is my gospel, for which I'm in chains, but the word of God is not in chains. This is my gospel, as I said earlier. Not the gospel, it is the gospel. But this is my gospel. This is my good news. This is, this is what my life is all based upon. He's at the end of his life. He's in prison for the same gospel. He's had everything stripped away from him. He's got nothing, but he's got everything. Because in this gospel, he's got everything. He's got Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead as promised. He's banking his life on it. So I ask you, what's your gospel? What is it that you live your life for? What is it that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about? What is it that energizes you day by day, day in and day out? Said another way, what is it if you lost it, you'd lose everything? Your family, your marriage, your kids, your work, your career promise and hope. your bank statements, what is it, your cause, that you're giving your life for? It's a worthy cause, no doubt. But what if you lost it? What if it failed? What if you failed? Would you have lost everything? Paul's lost everything, but he's got everything. He's got the gospel. This is my gospel. You know, there are really only two fundamental ways of thinking about the gospel. There are a thousand different versions of one of these ways, and only one or the other. But one of the gospels is you perform to please, and if you don't please, you get punished. You experience that probably a whole lot every day at work. You perform to please. And there's some measure of rightness to that. You're paid to do a job. You're paid to show up at a certain time or do a certain uh, service, consultation, whatever it is. And you're rewarded, for, you're, you're rewarded for it. There's a certain rightness to it and certain justice to it, certain fairness to all of that, certainly. But there's on a deeper, deeper level... What if you don't perform? And what's going on underneath the surface, under the, in, the, in the deeper levels and the recesses of your soul and life and heart? Why is there so much fear there? Why is there so much anxiety there? I have to tell you, not many years ago, so embarrassingly recent, I was, this was when I was still... Uh, serving at McLean Presbyterian Church, but not many years ago. I was standing, waiting on the second service to begin, listening to the music, and all of a sudden, in the depths of my soul, you know, Presbyterians don't believe that God really speaks to you, or at least they say they don't, but He really does. And this was one of those times that He really spoke to me. <laughs> 
It could have been audible, I think. It was so loud and clear, it seemed. But the question was, why does preaching exhaust you so? By this time, I'd been preaching for probably 28 years. So, you know, the whole thing about public speaking, you know, it's exhausting. It's scary. It's one of the scariest things you can do. But after 28 years, you either get used to it or, you know, you quit or something. I don't know. So it couldn't be that. And then there was the Lord saying, I'll tell you what it is. You're so afraid to fail. Every seven days, you're afraid you're going to fail. And that's why it's exhausting. Because I had another gospel running underneath. Oh, I knew the gospel about Jesus. I would preach that every, every week, you know. But underneath a gospel that was really running the engines of my life, at least, at least my preaching engines, was you got to perform to please yourself and all your hearers, and yes, even God. And if you don't perform in a certain way, you failed. You can perform to please, or you can perform out of His pleasure. You're pleased to perform. That's the gospel of grace that runs across all the other gospels. It's totally unique. You see, this works in parenting. It works at work. It works in relationships. It works in marriage. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks because you've been performing to please all the years of your marriage, and it just hadn't measured up. Now, the gospel changes everything. The gospel cuts across everything. The gospel frees you to perform out of the pleasure that the Father has because of the Son's finished work and the work of the Spirit of God that He is at work in your life to assure you of, that in His eyes, you can do no wrong. Oh, you can do plenty wrong, and there's no excuse to do anything wrong. But in his eyes, because of Jesus, you can do no wrong. And there's nothing you can do right that would make him love you even more. You're pleasing in his sight because in his sight, he sees Jesus' finished work for you. And that energizes to perform because there's no punishment. Paul says in Romans, now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's easy to forget, isn't it? It's so easy because we've practiced the other gospel in a thousand different ways all our lives. I think that's why Paul says, whatever you do, remember this. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, as promised, this is my gospel for which I'm in chains, but the Word of God's not in chains. That's why Jesus also said, do this in remembrance of me. Not because you might forget about him, historically, factually, but so you would reconnect. Do this to remember, 
reconnect with the reality of all that Jesus has done for you individually and grace downtown for all that Jesus has done for you for 10 years and all he promises to do for the next decade of decades. Amen.